Hey there folks, it's me, Michael Bach, your Diversity Dude, and this is Talking to Canadians. We're living in a time of polarizing viewpoints on both sides of several issues. People are increasingly passionate about what they believe in, and with the ever-increasing use of digital and social media, they have new platforms to express their views, especially when it comes to politics and politicians. My guest on this episode is no stranger to voicing her opinions and fighting for what she believes in. When I met Adrian, my own biases and stereotypes about certain groups came into play. When I see women of South Asian heritage, I make assumptions. In this case, my assumptions were wrong, but in a good way. Here's my conversation with Adrian Batra. Adrian Batra, welcome to Talking to Canadians. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to, for you to be here. So, Adrian, you're a conservative South Asian woman from Saskatchewan that served in the military and now heads up the Toronto Sun. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Which part do you want to unpack first? There's a lot there. I there's a lot there. I want to, so let's let's start at the very beginning. What uh, tell me about growing up uh, in Saskatchewan? You know, and being the the brown family on the block. Yeah, well, that's a very good question. Um, you know, my parents moved to Canada in 1967. I was mm-hmm. born um, a few years later. I'm the youngest of four kids, so. I would say that um, maybe I had a bit of an easier time than my, my siblings did because by the time I came around, my parents were already defeated enough. So <laughs> I got a bit of an easier, easier go at things. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting question because certainly there was not a huge East Indian population in Saskatchewan at the mm-hmm. time. My mom always used to joke that the, the white people would come to the hospital, see what the brown babies looked like. Um, and that was out of nothing other than pure curiosity. We, I was born in a very small town in Saskatchewan called Maple Creek, um, beautiful part of the province of, of Saskatchewan between Saskatchewan and Alberta in an area mm-hmm. called Cypress Hills. Um, but my parents were very involved in the community. Um, I, they curl. They learned how to curl. Uh, they, they, my dad played hockey and they were very, very much part of rural living in, in, in Saskatchewan in, in the early uh late 60s early 70s uh-huh. and then ultimately moved on to the big city of saskatoon oh my where um you know we grew up and and we lived there i mean obviously all on um, bus until we, we went off to university or you know moved out and, and whatnot but i would just simply say a very typical middle class upbringing you know very very average canadian lifestyle you know we we went out to the park and played with our friends. We got on bikes. We learned how to swim. We learned how to do all the things that, um, you know, every other kid was doing. And and I think that was a really important part for my parents to ensure that regardless of, you know, the fact that you have a different skin color, um, our kids are Canadians. They're born there, raised there. And that's, that's, that was a, a significant part of um, their value system. Uh, and, and I think that was even reflective in the names that they gave us, you know, they gave mm-hmm. us all very, what I would say, Western names, our middle names are, are Indian, but, um, first names certainly, uh, reflective of, of sort of their idea that, uh, maybe they didn't want us to be made fun of or whatever sure. it was. So those, those were the decisions that they made. Yeah. So I have to ask what inspired your family to move to such a small community in, you know, 
in Saskatchewan from India? Like what was, what did that look like for them? So my parents um, went through, you know, after they finished their schooling and whatnot, um, they moved from, they went from India to England to um, Africa, actually. They were in Ethiopia and both of my parents served in the diplomatic corps. And so when they were ultimately leaving um, their, their diplomatic service, they knew that they were going to, they wanted to either come to North America, they wanted to come to North America, so mm-hmm. the United States or Canada was, was sort of what was on their um, plate of options. And uh, not to divulge too many Bachelor family secrets, <laughs> but um, my mom um, was thinking, well, I think Canada is the place we want to go because a number of my dad's family was already in the United States. So she thought, well, let's go to Canada. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, in, in, in part how they, how they ended up here, you know, typical of what was going on with our immigration patterns at the time. They landed in Montreal in 67 and then they moved West and then, they uh, really just took on um, staying in in, in the in, in um, you know the prairies. They loved it. They embraced it. They were embraced, and so it really was something that, um, in part, was just the way things were going with immigration. But you know, based on their education and 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 the like. But you know, I always would say to them, you know, growing up, why did you stay in such a cold place? But my goodness, my parents are still in Saskatoon and are not going to leave anytime soon. Yeah. Well, it's such a fantastic part of the the country. And, and as you know, Saskatchewan is my second favorite province. I sadly, behind Newfoundland, I'm sorry that uh, Newfoundland and Labrador take that award. But uh, it's, you know, it's easy to see why, you know, once you've been settled there and you really get used to it, it's just a fantastic place to live. It really is. It's pretty. It's it's beautiful. It's diverse. It's ridiculously cold, but we have fabulous summers. And it was just a really pleasant place to grow up. It was a nice atmosphere. You know, the people are so kind, and it was um, it was it was a, it was a lovely experience. So after high school, you decided to join the Canadian Reserves, and you obtained the rank of lieutenant. What an earth decided it got you into the forces how tell me that story so yeah i after high school um they came around and did a recruiting class at like the high schools the the army reserve did and i said to a couple of my girlfriends i'm like let's do that let's go shoot some guns and maybe blow some shit up <laughs> let's try that i love and, it let's blow some shit up my dad about it so there's a summer between, you know, graduating from high school and going into university. So I talked to my dad about it, unbeknownst to me, um, because, you know, very typical teenager. I, we had a great history in our family um, of military service. You know, I had great grandfathers that served in both the British and the Indian military. They were generals. Um, some, a couple of them were doctors and served. And so it was, and, and I'm a Sikh, um, you know, by, by religion. I'm a Sikh. We have a, again a long history of, of, of military service and, and, and fighting. And so it, for our, for our beliefs and our country and, and, and the like. So my dad thought it was of course, you know, very in keeping with, you know, our, our tradition and our family. My mother almost lost her mind, <laughs> but, uh, but I did it and I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I did my basic training in Dundurn, Saskatchewan, which is a, a small base in, in um, just outside of Saskatoon. And then I, I was going through the process of, of 
the military and I got to the rank of corporal. So I was in what we call the, in the non-commissioned members. And I thought to myself looking around, I'm like, no, I want to be in charge. I want to uh, do, I want to continue down this road of service, but I want to do it in a different capacity. So I, I applied to become an officer and I did my officer's training course in Borden, Ontario. I got accepted and I, I went through that. And then ultimately when I did leave the military, I did uh, obtain the rank of lieutenant. So I, but I traveled all across Canada. I was in uh, bases everywhere. I did training everywhere. We trained with the Brits, with the Americans, with the Germans. Um, I didn't, however, go overseas, uh, just for for your for your listeners, I, I I served in the reserves. I wasn't in the regular force, right. so I wasn't um, in a in a position where I would necessarily be uh, required to go over because I was uh, a part time. But had I had been presented that opportunity, I absolutely would have gone overseas and served. Um, some of the greatest and best friends I have to this day, um, all these years later, are those that I served with. And many of them have gone on to have long distinguished careers in the military, still serving today. I've gone to Afghanistan and done a number of peacekeeping missions that um, Canada has been a part of. So it was, um, you know, one of those sorts of experiences that you don't sort of think is going to be, uh, you know, well received per se, but mm-hmm. uh, something I would never change for anything. And and did that influence your desire to go into political science and get a degree and then eventually work in politics? Yeah, you know, I've always sort of been involved in the, the political sphere, you know, from a very young age, even. I mean, I was that element. I was the president of my elementary school, you know, involved in the student politics and government and in high school and, and, and the like. And it just seemed like a natural sort of way of, of interest for me. Um you know, my mom would tell you that I, I literally came out of the womb talking and arguing <laughs> with someone about something. So, but always, I was always very independent. And maybe that was a reflection of me being the youngest of four, um, four kids. Right. I just was, was quite, a, quite independent. Um, never was shy about giving my opinion on things. And, and I, I suppose I, I rec, I, maybe that was recognized at a very early time. And so I, to, to use the colloquial term, my friend, I leaned into it mm-hmm. and uh, going into the political realm just seemed like the most natural fit um, to, to, to uh, have a career and, and move forward in my life. And I was um, embraced when I, when I dipped my toe into it and mm-hmm. then just sort of blossomed from there. And, you know, I, I think we have to kind of lay the dead moose on the table, as we say, you're a conservative. I am. And an unabashed conservative. And that's fantastic. The, I guess the dichotomy for some people might be that you're a South Asian woman that's a conservative. Do you see that as being a, a, a challenge? Do you hear about that a lot? I sometimes do. I think that there's sort of an expectation that you are a, um, you know, you're a person of color, for example. I, know, I really generally don't like that term, but you're, you're not white. And, you know, you're an immigrant's child and, you know, there's sort of this notion that we're all monolithic and, and right. that we're all, you know, left wing and, and, and uh, liberal minded. I, I mean, I suppose I defy a much of that notion, but uh, I don't think I'm alone in that for, to be sure. But I think that, um, but people often confuse, you know, you're the type of conservative you are or the type of NDP or that you are or sure. liberal that you are. I mean, I always, I often say that I'm more of a conservatarian. I, I, um, I'm pro-choice, I'm pro-gay marriage, 
I am very open-minded and have always been when it comes to those matters of, of personal choice. As long as it doesn't um, interfere or harm anybody else, um, I just don't like government screwing with my money. Yeah. So I am a strong fiscal conservative, and I don't think that I don't think that makes me very different from from um, others that just generally maybe are even nonpartisan. I think they everybody wants governments to do well by by the taxpayer and and, and not waste our money. I think where I differ, um, you know, perhaps when it comes to voting or, or, or things that are, I see sort of seeing unfolding in our political system in the last 15 to 20 years. Um, I've just seen sort of this erosion on the left of, you know, free speech. And, and, you know, if you, if you disagree with someone, you're automatically a racist or a sexist or all these things. And, and I, I find that increasingly frustrating, especially in the role in which I serve now, but those are sort of the, 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 the short answer to, to how I, sort of formulated and crafted my my philosophical views. Yeah. Well, and and you raise a good point that that there is this sort of belief that you know, if you're if you are a quote-unquote conservative, you uh, you get painted with the same brush as the kind of ultra right-wing conservative, you know, pro-life, anti-everything. And you know, we're not we're not monolithic creatures. We're not one uh, one dimensional. Um, so it's it's not out of the norm to have a person uh, who's South Asian be a conservative. It's not uh, out of the norm to have an LGBT person. You know, just as you can have white men who are in the NDP. Um, it, which <laughs> yeah, because it's not a zero sum game. No, it's me. not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in, in 2010, you went on to work uh, as director of communications for uh, Mayor Rob Ford. I sure did. I um, moved to, uh, I, I served in, in, in um, the province of Manitoba. I, I was the uh, director of communication. I was the uh, Manitoba director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And then my husband works in corporate finance. And so we, we decided that it was time to leave Manitoba and and uh, moved to the big city. So we moved to Toronto in 2008 and I was a stay-at-home mom before I went back to, I, I got, had my son in 2009 mm-hmm. and then um, through a very strange confluence of events, a number of my friends whom I'd done some political campaigning with in the past were coming to help on Rob Ford's mayoral campaign in 2010 and they said they need a, D, a director of communications, they need a decom. And Aiden, my son, was like, nine and a half months at the time. And I thought, Oh, geez, I, I'm not quite sure if I'm ready yeah. for this to go back to work or, you know, I hadn't put on a business suit in a long time. I've been living in yoga pads for the past, you know, <laughs> year, year. <laughs> but, um, I, I, ultimately I, I met, um, both, uh, uh, Mayor, uh, uh, Rob Ford and met Doug Ford. And I, I thought this is a pretty extraordinary thing. I want to be a part of it because I walked into a room in Scarborough and I thought, oh gosh, do I need my passport? To <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I walk into this room and I and I see, and it's good. Look, it's a conservative. He is a conservative guy, mm-hmm. Rob Ford. Um, but I saw something that I hadn't seen in in the in the so called conservative movement in some time. I saw black. I saw white. I saw um, Asian. I saw uh, South Asian, East Asian. I saw young. I saw old. I saw rich. I saw poor. And I thought, damn. This is something that I, I got to get onto this. This is, this is, I want to be a part of mm-hmm. this. Um, and I think it, a lot of it sort of speaks to sort of the Jason Kenney um, view of, of way of doing things, you know, the new premier of Alberta, but Jason Kenney, when he was of course involved in the federal conservative um, party, he was very much um, 
part of reaching out to sort of the non-traditional communities that wouldn't necessarily vote conservative. And, and I saw this sort of in one confluence, uh, in, in one, in one room under this guy named Rob Ford, you know, this gregarious character that all of us had heard about, but, you know, not quite sure exactly what to make of him. But, um, I saw this and I thought this is, this is an opportunity to do something pretty, pretty cool for the movement in, in a more broader sense. And so I was all in, met the, met, met the brothers one night and I started the next day. Fantastic. Yeah. And let, let's be honest, his time in office was a bit tumultuous because of his addictions. Well, I also, I often get asked about my time with um, Mayor sure. Ford and, um, God rest his soul. I always say, well, it was never. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I worked in the mayor's. Uh, so after we won in, uh, um, after Rob became mayor in October of 2010, uh, I did go on to serve in the mayor's mm -hmm. office for just over a year. And intellectually, that was sort of my commitment. I thought, okay, I can do a year. I mean, Aiden was still very young. Um, so I was cognizant of that, but I also knew that the role in which I was going into was very exhausting. I mean, it was literally 24 mm. seven and yeah, I mean, it was not a smooth ride, shall we sure. say. Rob was a, I, I, I loved the man. He was a flawed man and I'm not going to gloss over the personal challenges and the issues that he mm -hmm. had. Now, again, I, I was gone from the office of the mayor by the time the, the big one broke. Right. Crap, I, don't know. I was, I had left that office. But we certainly had our own challenges and hiccups during the campaign and, cer and certainly during our first year and in, in, in the time in which I served at the office of the mayor. But we got a lot done, mm -hmm. too, and um, a, a record that should be proud of. But unfortunately, it's all forgotten and clouded by, you know, Rob's personal challenges. And, and he uh, was a very flawed man, but I would only maintain that uh, he did ultimately really want to generally do what was best in, in the best interest of the residents of Toronto. And so um, it's sometimes frustrating that it's just all about the crack scandal. But uh, anybody that he met, and I, and I would say this to anybody, had Robbie not gotten ill and had he not um, had uh, the, the, the cancer had not come come uh, and taken taken over, uh, I think he would have been reelected in 2014. <laughs> so I think he was just not beloved. I think people were willing and ready to look past his personal flaws and, and say, you know what, just because this guy did this, it hasn't affected how my, my life is, um, as a, as a Torontonian, even though it was embarrassing and all those things, I think people were willing to, he was, it. he was a flawed individual like everyone else. I mean, we're all, we're all flawed. Um, and it's unfortunate that his flaws, uh, made international headlines. Yeah, we had to, it was laid bare before everyone yeah. to see, and it was extraordinarily, frustrating and it was heartbreaking um but i uh i i i really would maintain that um he was he was an extraordinary political figure of our time that um people still can't quite figure out um you know you talk about him being i mean he's referred to as a, you know as populist as populist gets but i mean this is a man that would literally pick up the phone and return people's phone calls and and, and this in, in politics, that's an unheard of thing. Okay, so Adrian, tell us about your transition from political life into journalism. So the um, time in which I was serving in the office of the mayor, um, I, I'd always sort of been on the opinion making making side of the of 
the aisle, so to speak. Like when I was working for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, you know, I wrote columns, I was on radio, I was on TV. Um, and then of course, being the spokesperson for the, for the mayor, you kind of get into that nature of, you know, gamely arguing with the media. And then the, the then editor in chief of the Toronto Sun at the time, him and I met at an event and he sort of cheekily asked me, um, do you want to go? Are you ready to leave? And I thought, Hmm, maybe I think I might be looking for a new opportunity. And, uh, I was presented with this extraordinary opportunity to join the Toronto sun. And so I often refer to myself, Michael, as sort of an accidental mm -hmm. journalist, but it was, um, it was not as, uh, a, it was a, it was an easy transition, shall we say. I embraced it and I enjoyed it. I, so I became the comment editor at the Toronto sun and then fast forward to some time later, the guy that hired me, they fired Sorry. him. <laughs> so they brought in someone else. And then we, um, at the time there was a TV network affiliated with the sun. It was mm -hmm. the sun news network. And my, um, friend Corey that started it, he, um, came to me with an opportunity to, to be a TV host. And I thought, well, sure. I'll try that. That sounds like fun. I really wanted to do that. Did that for a couple of years and then just sort of, again, very strange confluence of events. The guy that hired me to be the comment editor and they fired him, he was being brought back because post media was buying sun media. And so he met with me and he said, listen, I know you're doing the TV thing, um, but you got to come back to the paper because I'm coming back to the paper. And I'm like, all right, what am I coming back as? He said, well, you're going to come back as the editor in chief. I'm like in. And then, so the, the, um, the TV network had shut down at this point. So, uh, it was, we're all, I suppose, going in the, in the appropriate direction. And then, so I got appointed editor in chief in May of 2015 and have been Fantastic. here since. And in, in 2013, you were awarded the Queens Jubilee medal. Congratulations. Thank you very much. That was a huge honor. I, I know that, uh, thousands of Canadians were presented with the Queens diamond Jubilee, but you know, it's a nice, not a particularly strong monarchist, I should say, but uh, um, <laughs> still, you know, this is the the guise under which our, our country is, is operated on. And it's nice to have that sort of um, recognition. It's so nice it was, to be recognized. I didn't get one. <laughs> you can borrow mine. Mm, i just wear it out on occasion. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the sun. Um, because, you know, the Sun is a conservative-ish newspaper. It tends to be more on the right side. Uh, it also tends to be more, and I don't, I, I hesitate to use the word, but tabloid. It is tabloid. It is. Do you, so you embrace that, you embrace that term? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the, the manner by which it's uh, presented. It's not a broadsheet. It's a tabloid, just in terms of how the layout is. Right. And yeah, we are. We have the cheeky front pages. We have... Um, we still have a sunshine girl for heaven's sake. We, um, write our stories in a very short, succinct manner. Even, even our opinion columns are shorter than what you would see in a broadsheet. And so it's very much the tabloid style of, of writing. And I'm not quite there, but, um, if there was a similar comparison, it would be the, we're the New York post of Canada. And, and how would you say that diversity has impacted your work at the sun or has it? Well, I think, I think diversity means a lot of things to a lot of people. And to me, it means obviously having a 
a newsroom that is reflective of the city in which you live in and that you write for and that you represent. So and that's in part of it. But diversity also means that of an of opinion. Um, and I think that's one of the areas, of course, where the Toronto Sun, yeah, you know, we, we are, we can be controversial. We, we, we do like to offend people. We often like to uh, refer to ourselves as we stand up for the little guy. We give a voice to those beleaguered people out there who feel that they have been left out or lost in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we get it very, very right. And like everybody else, we sometimes get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we've taken our lumps for that. And um, that's always a, a concern and a challenge. But we have some of the best sports and some of the best opinion writers, in my view, in the country. I have the privilege to to lead a newsroom of, of some of the greatest journalists uh, around, and and it's and it's an honor to do so on a daily basis. But it is it is um, a challenging industry because we see our role. I, I guess in a way is um, I do we do refer to ourselves as small C conservative. Um, we're, we're not um, out there. You know, championing um, uh, social ju- uh, social causes per se, mm-hmm. um, but we're also not going to shy away from them either, uh, and we'll give context as, as often as we can. You're going to see in my paper um, perspective from the left, the right, and the center. Yeah, it's going to be more from the center right, but you're also going to see uh, the voice of the NDP and the voice of the liberal because I think that the readers should be afforded the opportunity for hear- to hear from all sides. But our editorial position absolutely remains to be small C conservative. Sure. Um, and then, and that I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon, but that's one of the things that separates our voice from so many who are, um, look, you can, you can click on the Toronto star, the Huffington post and, and, um, and CBC and get, get the very, I would say left-wing perspective. Uh, You're not going to, you're not going to see those that are more on the center, right? Though we have an opportunity to sort of stand out and, um, and I think we do. Yeah. But let's talk about being South Asian in media, um, an industry which has been, I'll I'll just say it, notoriously white and notoriously male, particularly at leadership. What's that been like for you, kind of cracking that glass ceiling? It's a great question. I really wish, I I think I need to formulate a really articulate, powerful answer. Absolutely, you have to. It's a lot of pressure. It is, but I'll be very honest with you. I've done that all my life when I served in the military, when I've been in politics. I mean, I, I just, I never really put a lot of stock into it. Um, maybe people treated me differently or maybe they talked behind my back. I have no clue. And I frankly don't give a damn, right. but I mean, I, it never deterred me from um, turning in. I never turned anything down. I always took the opportunity. And I will say this, the people that gave me those opportunities were white men. They are the ones that recognize the talent in me. They are the ones that were um, always like giving me, providing me um, with opportunity. Um, I don't like affirmative action. I do not believe affirmative action has, has been beneficial to someone like me. I worked my ass off to get to where I sure. am. Uh, and I think that where perhaps I sort of can, can sort of reflect upon it now that I'm a little bit older. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and in that regard, it is a weighty thing, and I'm not. I'm not dismissing. You know, being the first woman of, I am the very first person of uh, South Asian descent to run a major metropolitan newspaper in North America. First one, a daily to run a daily. 
And, and I think that's pretty cool, but I know I'm not going to be the last. So I think from that perspective, I think it's pretty extraordinary. I am not going to bring someone into my newsroom because I think that, you know, I need, uh, I need, I need a Brown person. I need an Asian person. I need a black person. No, people are going to come in here because of the damn best at what they do. If they just happen to be, you know, a certain, um, you know, minority or whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm all in, but I'm very focused on someone who can do the job. And I think that's kind of universal. I, I hope, um, but just in terms of my own experience, I just, I would only say this, I would just sort of close with simply saying my own experience has been generally positive. And if I can serve as a role model for other young women in that regard, I will, and I will give my time and I will always, um, you know, give them the best advice that I can. And, and sometimes you just, you know, you have to turn a, the other cheek sometimes yeah. if it, things are not going in the in the direction that you are but but the the zeitgeist the 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 goalposts have moved the the conversations are different they're not like they used to be and and that's probably for the better yeah would you say that your newsroom is reflective of the city of toronto i'm getting there yeah my challenge of course is i have a union right and um when you're in the union environment michael you're last in first out and even though we've tried to bring in you know younger voices fresher voices the, the industry and Toronto Sun is not immune to what has been going on. We're all struggling in the print business. And so we've, we've seen our newsroom shrink. And often those are the voices, sadly, that go first. But I look around my newsroom today and I'm, I'm proud of, at the very least, we've, we've maintained, um, again, not just diversity of the skin color, but diversity of opinion. Sure. And, that, and that's important. Yeah. It, it's, you know, you're in a, a profession that is going through such a metamorphosis. Um, and I think it's, it's, uh, I think a struggle that all media organizations are facing of making sure that they're able to keep the lights on, but at the same time, uh, create space for, for all people. Uh, the union has a significant impact. It really does. I mean, we've got, we've got a great, I, I mean, we've got a good relationship, but you know, there's, there's always inevitably going to be challenges, but. I am, you know, I, I serve on two journalism boards and I, and we often as leaders in the, in the industry, we reflect upon this quite often. Um, the state of our industry, everybody seems to want to have an opinion on it too, but, uh, this is, this is the challenge that, uh, we are, we're facing, I think together in a way, but independent because, we haven't quite figured out what some of the other European papers have done or the Americans have done. And, and they've taken on some of these big, um, you know, giants to, to sort of get our intellectual property back. But, you know, conversations about, do we take Google on? I mean, how do we maintain our journalism and, and maintain that independence and, and, and the like? And, and that's actually the question that's being asked right now with this big, the liberal government, you know, providing $660 million bailout to the media industry. And, so, I mean, these are, these are the struggles that we have, but I, I'll tell you, it, if it means me keeping um, two or three or four general assignment reporters that are going to be able to go out and get the stories that matter to, to, to our readers and that matter to the city, then, you know, I, I kind of have to uh, put my personal philosophical issues aside and, and think, yeah, we, we need the help that we, we need all the help that we can get. But, um, you know, just contextually, 
when I joined the Toronto Sun, we had over 140 people in the, on the editorial side. That means everybody from putting the pages together and putting the paper physically out the door. And then fast forward to where I am today. I do three, three newspapers out of my shop. I do the Toronto Sun, Winnipeg Sun, and, and Ottawa. Um, I have 50 people. And it's just, it's, it's a reflection of, of sadly, where yeah. things have gone. Do you have any advice for, for young people, um, who are looking to get into media? What would you say to them? Oh boy. I, I often am, I uh, have the privilege of going and speaking to some journalism classes and speaking to sort of the young up and comers. I know people would sort of pejoratively say like, what the hell are you doing here? This is a dying industry, but I know that's easy. That's an easy out. But if every single one of us said that to each and every one of them, every time we went and spoke to a class, you know, we wouldn't have a future of, mm -hmm. of journalism. Our, our line of defense is still important to the listener, to the reader. We still have editors. We still have the ability to, um, you know, make sure that we, we protect against the so-called fake news. So I would say stick to it. Maybe have a plan B, but stick to it. Good advice. So we like to wrap up all of our conversations with the same questions. I call them the light and fluffy, but it's just an opportunity to get to know you a little better. So who would you say are your hero heroes or heroines? Well, certainly my mom, my mom, my mom's an amazing, extraordinary woman. Um, and I don't want to be cliche about it, but this is a woman that uprooted her firstborn child from one country, came to another one, no family, no friends, I mean, it's a pretty extraordinary thing to do that. And uh, she adapted and she did well and she thrived and she succeeded. And she instilled that in all of us. And and so I'd say, number one, Mother Batra, of course. And I mean, I, I, I've i always sort of had this, uh, I mean, in, in my world of politics, I, I saw women like Indira Gandhi. I saw Benazir Bhutto. I saw, you know, women like Margaret Thatcher, who... You know, these are strong women, strong individuals beyond just the fact that they were women. They were just strong individuals who held deeply rooted core values and, and, and at a time in which, you know, they perhaps shouldn't have been leading their countries or they wouldn't be accepted. They were incredible to, to listen to, to read about, um, particularly for me, Margaret Thatcher. I, 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 her quotes are just are still remain very inspirational to me. Um, her you know, didn't didn't agree with everything, of course, that her governments did, but I certainly think that she was one that I think overarching helped craft sort of my personal maybe manner by which I would tackle an issue or or even come at something. And so so that so I would say her is the sort of top when it comes to the political. Uh, influences in my life. But, you know, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, I have an extraordinary group of people around me who just inspire me every day and not the least of which is my own son. That's nice. What would you say are your biggest pet peeves? I, I don't like it. I don't really, really don't like it when um, people ignore me. <laughs> Even <laughs> How could anyone ignore know, you? Right, I'm very loud. I just, I mean, and I mean, that's not the right way of putting it, but they just sort of dismiss, you know, certain things outright because I, 
you know, I may come at things, something from a particularly, a particular philosophical perspective or whatever the case may be. But, um, I don't know. I just find it frustrating when people aren't engaged and yeah. I mean, either at work or either personally, whatever. I just find that really frustrating. I can, I can absolutely uh, relate to that. Uh, what is your happiest and or guiltiest pleasure? I love Prosecco. I love bubble and I love to golf. So I'm oh. very happy on the golf course. Drinking Prosecco? Yes. If they would serve it there, that would be fabulous. <laughs> I would love the golf cart that drives up with the Prosecco. I, it's, it's very civilized if they would start doing that. But I, really, the, the beer is so heavy. I sometimes have said to my parents, I said, why didn't you guys appreciate at a young age that I, I had some talent in golf? Um, you know, but uh, I, I love it. I enjoy it immensely. Um, and I'm not bad. And it's also very thrilling and satisfying to me that I'm barely five foot nothing and I can, I can kind of hit the ball pretty far. So I, wow. often I end up playing like in a, in a tournament or something and with these, all these tall dudes, they have zero expectation and then I can hit the shit out of it. And it's like, wow, look at that go. Very, <laughs> very satisfying. <laughs> so if I'm ever putting together a foursome, I know to call you. I could be your ringer. Yeah. that That's probably never going to happen, but you know, just in case. Just in case. I'll, I'll be the one driving the Prosecco cart. See, now that is everybody's bringing something to the table. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, thanks so much for talking to us today. It's been a real pleasure uh, to, to spend some time with you. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Thanks. Adrian's background has shaped who she is. If nothing else, she is a big C conservative and proud of her beliefs, her family, and her background. Though often controversial, she's 100% authentic, which is something I believe we should all strive for. That's all for today's episode of Talking to Canadians. Thank you for listening, and thank you to my guest, Adrienne Batra, for sharing her story. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast through your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. Connect with me through social media. I'm at DiversityDudeMB. And don't forget to stay up to date with everything CCDI is up to by visiting our website at ccdi.ca. Thanks again, and I'll be talking with you again soon, Canada.